Thank you, Ted, for shepherding us with the word of the Lord and also shepherding our hearts. And uh, Eric and Tim, thank you for shepherding us with words of praise for our Lord and our King. Well, this morning we turn, we return with a little bit of feedback to our, our meditation on what God's Word has to say about His house. It's part of our theme on the house of the Lord, and it's part of our theme on God's high calling for His gospel church. What is the church? Why do we come? What is it all about? This is sort of our theme, at least for the next month. And We've transitioned from looking at gospel leadership into gospel gathering, if you will. Okay, The gathering of the people of the Lord. And our meditation this morning is on what God's Word has to say about His house. And the clear testimony of His Word is that His house is like no other house of worship. The house of the Lord is like no other house of worship. It is not simply a place where we gather to worship our God. I'm going to say that again because... That may strike you as odd. The house of the Lord, as we read about it in Scripture, is not simply a place where we gather to worship our God. At best, this is how many Christians think about the house of the Lord. This is how they think of church. And incidentally, it's how many Hindus think of their temples. This is a place where we gather to worship our gods. And this is how many Muslims think about their mosques. But as we close out our meditation on Psalm 23, very clearly this is not how King David views or thinks about the house of the Lord. The place, the house of the Lord, where Psalm 23 ends. And it's a beautiful place that King David comes to. It's a place of great joy and celebration. And many times what a contrast to the experience of church. Either church is a place of obligation where we come to out of drudgery and we're obligated to go because it's the right thing to do, or it's a social event where we come to hang out with our friends. But distinctly different is the end of Psalm 23. The end of Psalm 23, King David comes to the house of the Lord, and it's a place of incredible love and celebration and joy. And I would propose to you that this is not just isolated to Psalm 23, this is God's blueprint and design for the house of the Lord forever. That the house of the Lord was always meant to reflect what we read in the end of Psalm 23. And it's worth asking ourselves at times, okay, how does my understanding of church and gathering together and coming to worship, how does that line up with what Scripture says and, and King David's experience? Because, brothers and sisters, God's desire for you is that this isn't just limited to King David, that this would be the experience of every true child of God. And as we come to Psalm 23, David, as we've heard in weeks past, looks to the house of the Lord as the place that with all his heart, With all his heart, he desires to be all the days of his life. If David could be there during his earthly life, 24-7, that is the place that he would want to be in the courts of the Lord. And why is that the case? You'll recall in Psalm 23, 
the reason David desires to be there is because the house of the Lord is where his shepherd and his Lord is. The one he loves with all his heart. He wants to be in the house of the Lord because this is where the Lord dwells and reigns as king. And because this is where the Lord dwells and reigns, this is the place he desires his children to be. And because this is where the Lord dwells and reigns, this house is holy. And for David, that is a delight. It's not an onerous obligation. It's because the house of the Lord, because the Lord dwells there, it's set apart from the sin and the filth and the ugliness of everything that makes this world a horrible place. It's set apart. And when David goes there, he's free from that, even if it's only for David on the Sabbath day that he's able to go there or on the festivities, that at least for a minute or a moment, he has a foreshadow of what heaven will be like, where it's free from the sins of this world, but you're also free to obey God and focus on Him rather than focusing on the 20 things that pull us away from the Lord. It's not freedom of worship, brothers and sisters. We think of that way. You know, we're Americans. Freedom of worship. Free to do whatever I want. No. It's freedom to be with our Lord and to walk in His ways and to enjoy His holiness and goodness. For David, that attraction to be there is because the house of the Lord is devoted entirely to the Lord. It belongs to him, and every aspect of it points to the Lord, the one he loves. David desires to be there, obviously because the Lord dwells there, but because he is a child of God. And the house of the Lord is the place as Psalm 23 will show us, that celebrates with immense joy and delight God's holy love for his children. The house of the Lord is a house of celebration, brothers and sisters. That's why David wants to be there. It's the place where the Lord himself celebrates with joy and delight his love and his care for his beloved children. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 23. It'll probably be, Lord willing, the last time this year we come here. And by now, we probably all should have memorized it. We've read it so many times. Psalm 23, 1. This is the Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. With these God-breathed words, as we've shared before, what David is unfolding for us is his life's journey. This is his pilgrimage. This is a summation of his life. And he's unfolding for us step by step his journey as a Lamb of God. And by extension, this is a journey that should reflect the lives of all those who 
propose that they are God's sheep or that they belong to him or who are Christians. And as we come to the end of this psalm, David shows us he knows exactly where the Lord is leading him. And he knows exactly where his life and his journey are headed. It's worth stopping and asking, brothers and sisters, where is your life headed? Where is your journey going? Where is your career taking you? Where is your family taking you? Where is your education taking you? Well, for King David, without a shadow of a doubt, his life is headed for the house of the Lord. And why is that the case? It's one simple reason, brothers and sisters. Because the Lord is King David's shepherd. The Lord is the leader of his life. He belongs to the Lord. And the evidence of that is that every step of the way in his life, good times, bad times, nice roads, dark roads, the one who is leading and the one whom he follows, well, there's one. It's not his career. It's not his vocation. It's not Grace Community Church. At the end of the day, it is the Lord, brothers and sisters. It is the Lord. This is where the Lord always leads his sheep. Okay, And that brings us to our first point. The house of the Lord is where the Lord leads his sheep. The house of the Lord is where the Lord leads his sheep. There are many of those who say, you know, being a Christian does not mean you're obligated to go to one single church. You don't have to be a church member. I can spend some time in this church. I can spend some time in another church, you know, as long as I'm with the people of God. Lighthouse San Diego, Lighthouse LA, Lighthouse OC, as long as I'm... But when we come to God's Word, we see that the house of the Lord is the place where the Lord dwells. That He cares about His sheep and He keeps track of His sheep. And he's leading them there. And this is the place where they belong. They do not belong any other place. They belong in the place where the Lord is and where he's called them to be. And where he's shepherding and guiding them. The Lord does not lead us, brothers and sisters, away from himself, away from his word, or away from his house. That idea of the Lone Ranger Christian. That's completely contrary to the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this exists right back in the beginning. When we go to Exodus, the Lord keeps his covenant word and his promise to Abraham. And how does he do that? By leading and redeeming Abraham's descendants out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And where does he lead them? Well, initially he leads them into the wilderness, but he leads them into the wilderness for a purpose. And brothers and sisters, sometimes he leads us into wildernesses too. He led his son, Jesus, into the wilderness before his ministry began. But what's the purpose, ultimately? To lead them to himself. The Lord just doesn't save us and make us Christians so we can go and do whatever we want and celebrate a freedom of worship and go wherever and do whatever we want. He saves us so that we're no longer slaves of sin in the world so that we belong to him and we're part of his family. And like a good father, he wants to know where you are and he wants you to be at dinner. The Lord in Exodus saves the children of Israel and he brings them out of Egypt to be with him and to celebrate his love for them. And in Exodus 5.1, Moses says to Pharaoh these words of the Lord. This is his very first encounter with Pharaoh as he confronts Pharaoh and, and lays the foundation to lead the children Out of Egypt. Thus says the Lord. The God of Israel. 
let my people go so they can what? Build big houses, have great cars, and have great careers? He says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. That they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. You know, when you read through the Psalms and you read through First and Second Samuel and you go through the life of David, David knew the word of the Lord. He knew it well. And when you see the decisions he makes at first in first and second Samuel, it's hard to understand what he's doing. And then you realize that his understanding of the word of the Lord is at a level that is far beyond the average person. It is deep. And his references that he makes in Psalm 23, I believe, very much are intended to hearken back to the five books of Moses. He prepares for me a feast in the presence of my enemies. We go back to Exodus 5.1. Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. And by God's salvation and his leadership, this feast takes place at Mount Sinai. In Exodus 24, where the Lord descends in smoke and fire. And he draws near to his people. And in love he gives them his word and his covenant through Moses. And the feast that follows this covenant, there's a feast that follows the covenant. That feast is, in a sense, a love feast or a wedding celebration between the Lord and his people. Very specifically, the people he has saved And redeemed for himself. And later in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah and Isaiah as well in the prophets, they make reference where the Lord starts to talk about his children or his people as his bride. It's an expression of this salvation is a relationship of the love of the Lord for his people. And following this covenant celebration in Exodus 25, the Lord gives Moses instruction for the building of his house which is also known as the sanctuary, the tabernacle, or the tent of meeting. And it's the holy place where the Lord will not only dwell in love with his people, but it's also the place where in love he will also lead his people with his word. That's why it was called the tent of meeting. It's where Moses would go to inquire of the Lord, where the elders would gather. And that was the benefit and beauty that they had a a God who was not absent, but who was present. It's not someone where there's invisible prayers and I get no answers. No, the Lord was ready and present. The house of the Lord, brothers and sisters, was the house where the Lord led his people with his word. And it's in this way, by God's design, the house of the Lord is his gift of his loving leadership in the lives of his people. Brothers and sisters, do we come to the house of the Lord to be led in every aspect of our lives? Do we come to be led by his word? Well, we say yes, we come to hear the sermon, it's sweet, we take notes. But brothers and sisters, our lives, led by the Lord, and the house of the Lord, its reason and its purpose is his love for us, that the Lord loves us by leading us. And he leads us with his word. Well, his leadership is what sets apart the house of the Lord from all earthly palaces and seats of authority. Places like the White House or the Vatican. Places where men rule with power and authority. But the house of the Lord is the holy place where the Lord chooses to love and lead his people with his word. 
And this is why the Lord insists his house is to be the very center of his people's lives. And we're trying to show this with this illustration of how the Lord commanded the children of Israel to build the tabernacle and build the tent and then organize all the tribes of Israel around the tabernacle. The Lord was showing them his leadership and the leadership of his word was meant to be the center of their lives. It was to be the sun around which all the planets rotated and revolved. Why? Because the Lord's life and the Lord's love and the Lord's leadership, the leadership of his word, were to be the center of their lives. Every aspect of their life was to revolve around the life of the Lord. Every aspect of their life was to revolve around the love of the Lord. Every aspect of their life was to revolve around the word and his leadership in their lives. Raises the question for us, brothers and sisters, what is the center of your life? What is your life revolve around? Both on the good days and the bad days. Julie and I had many conversations. There's times where we gather together at the end of the day, tired and exhausted, and just saying it feels like our life is revolving around the school schedule or the soccer schedule. Or sometimes even the church schedule. Or the ministry schedule. But brothers and sisters, our lives are meant to revolve around God's love for us. And His presence in our lives. And that is never separate from His Word. And yet when you look at our cities, what is the center of a city? When we look at this illustration that we have up. And how God designed in the Old Covenant. Foreshadowing the New And we think of our cities, and you see what's most important to a city is what's in its center. For most of us, it's sports stadiums and high-rises filled with all the places that we work in. It's Wall Street. That's the nation that we live in, let's be honest. It's not America the good, it's not a Christian nation. At the heart is our sports and our economy. Those are the things that make us tick. And as we think about our homes... There was a time and an era after the Reformation where the center of every home was the Bible, the Word of God. And that's what the family gathered around. And that was what made things tick. And that was what ordered the meals. Right now, for most of us, it's our big screen TVs and our computer terminals. That's the center of our lives. That's what drives us. That tells us where we need to be and how we need to go. And brothers and sisters, we're more influenced by that than we care to admit. And we come to the house of the Lord, brothers and sisters, to experience his love. A love that is never separated from his leadership and the leadership of his word. There are times where we come in where we're a little bit upset. Someone has come and corrected us or someone has raised a question and we're offended by it. But brothers, are you coming to be led by the word of the Lord? Are you coming... Where the Lord in love is saying, you've been there in the week, being infiltrated by the world, the world, the world. And there's dirt in your shirt, and I'm here very sweetly to tell you, hey, there's a way in which that can be taken off. So that you can come and enjoy the meal and the festival of love that the Lord has for you. 
Well, at the end of Psalm 23, the Lord leads King David to the place King David is to call home. And it is the place where the Good Shepherd in love now reveals himself in all his glory as the king and host who celebrates with great joy and delight his holy love for those he leads. And this is why he's been leading them with his word, because his desire is to bring them to his home. And this brings us to our second point for this morning. The house of the Lord is where the Lord celebrates his love for his sheep. The house of the Lord is where the Lord celebrates his love for his sheep. Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Brothers and sisters, God is a generous God. And he is generous with his children. And in the ancient Near East, feasts were not preparations for just anyone. They were preparations for very special guests. You remember Abraham preparing a feast when the Lord appears on his doorstep. Feasts were preparations for very special guests. And anointing oil was a royal treasure. It was very expensive. Common people did not have this. It was a symbol of prosperity, a symbol of joy, a symbol of honor, and a symbol of wealth and love. And it was a Typically a very costly mixture of expensive perfume and olive oil. And wealthy hosts would welcome special guests into their home by anointing these guests, their heads, with oil. You recall in the New Testament, Jesus comes in and there's a woman who's a sinner. And she anoints his feet with oil and he receives criticism. And he makes mention that the guests and the hosts of the home, Pharisees, well, you know, they, they, did, they didn't wash, they didn't do any of that special thing for Jesus. He's making the point, I was not really an honored guest by you, but this sinner, this woman who you look down on, she has demonstrated that in her life, I am treasured, I am honored, I am valued. Right? Well, in the ancient Near East, wealthy hosts and royal guests would anoint their guests' heads with oil. And this was to publicly honor and to prepare their guests for the feast to come. Where the anointing oil served as sort of a spa treatment. It was perfumed and it was to be a very expensive sort of all-in-one shampoo, conditioner, moisturizer, cologne. But that's what it was used in the ancient Near East and the Mediterranean world. And as it did so, and as it covered someone's head, this is what helped everyone look and smell and feel clean and refreshed at the dinner table. Nothing kills a party like dirty, sweaty, stinky gas. It's one of the reasons we try and shower our boys before dinner time. But anointing oil, brothers and sisters, was also a gift and symbol of love between a royal husband and his wife. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Song of Solomon's. That's after the Proverbs. Song of Solomon's, chapter 1, verse 2. Let him kiss me with kisses, the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. We would do well to consider 
Scripture's view of love, which our world has greatly distorted. And the testimony of God's word is that the house of the Lord is not the house of the world's love, a love that defiles, a love that demeans, a love that takes. The house of the Lord is the house of God's holy love for his beloved bride. And it hates all that defiles and demeans his bride, all that stains his bride. And within the text, an oil, a holy oil, is a symbol of the Lord's love for his beloved. A holy love that washes, that refreshes, and that prepares the Lord's beloved bride for the celebration of his love for her. And it anticipates much of what we read about a husband's love for his wife and what it's supposed to be in Ephesians chapter 5. In Scripture, this process of loving, a love that refreshes, a love that washes, a love that cleans, a love that restores and revitalizes, in Scripture, this process is called sanctification. And most of us, when we hear that term sanctification, the process by which the Lord makes us holy, the process by which the Lord mortifies and addresses sin in our lives, all those technical terms that we hear and read, most of us, when we hear that, we think of sanctification. You know, we put it on terms with a root canal. Okay, God, this is something you've got to do. Get the drill out and go after it. Right? Or why is all, all that you talk about is sanctification? You know, why, why don't we talk about all the other good things, the salvation of the Lord? It's because, brothers and sisters, sanctification is a gift of God's love for us. He loves his bride. He welcomes her into his home. And as he does so, he gives her the dress of righteousness and he gives her everything that she needs to be beautiful. How does he do that? He does it by washing us of our sin and restoring us with his spirit and his Word. Anointing was a preparation to make the guest beautiful in preparation for the celebration of the feast. And in Exodus 29 through 30, the word of the Lord makes it clear. Before the priests could enter into the house of the Lord, they had to be sanctified or consecrated. And they had to be sanctified or consecrated according to God's word. And this process required being washed with water, not once, but twice. And this process of sanctification involved having the blood of animal sacrifices placed not only on the altar, but on the priest, to show that they were covered by the sacrifice and the blood of the sacrifice. The Lord is addressing this issue. Before you can come to me, your sin needs to be removed, because I love you and I want to spend time with you. As a physician, I used to have patients who used to come into my office and they hadn't cleaned for ages. The girls would spray the place down in advance and they would warn me in advance. They said, this is going to be a rough one, Dr. Chen. This is going to be tough times. You go in there and you do the report and you try to breathe through your mouth instead of your nose and you did everything that you went through and, and it's like, whoa, someone needs to tell that person before they come in. Well, brothers and sisters, the Lord does tell us because he loves us. And because he doesn't want to sit there and breathe through his mouth, he wants to sit with us and spend time with us and be close to us. And so this is what he's doing with the priests. 
says your sin needs to be addressed. Your sin is a stink to me. I love you so much, I'm going to provide a way for that to be removed. I'm going to provide the anointing oil to make you clean and beautiful. So priests, before they came in, they would have to be washed not once but twice. Blood from the sacrifice had to be put on them, on their earlobe. And then the final step in the preparation of a priest for them to be able to come before the Lord in the house of the Lord was having their head anointed with the Lord's holy oil. You have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, verse 22. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make these a sacred anointing oil, blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And then in verses 26 through 29, he points out that everything in the tabernacle was to be anointed with this oil. And then drop down to 30. Verse 30, you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. Consecrate, sanctify them. And you shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout all your generations. It shall be poured on the body. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person. And you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy. And it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Brothers and sisters, the Lord loves with a holy love and he loves graciously and generously, but he does not mess around. And in the Old Testament, the Lord's anointing was typically reserved for three very special people. They were... Three very special people whom the Lord had set apart to love and care for his people in his house with his spirit and his word. And these three people were the Lord's prophet, the Lord's priest, and the Lord's king. The Lord's prophet, the Lord's priest, and the Lord's king. And why did the Lord insist on these men being publicly anointed? You'll see this illustration up here, which is an illustration of King David being anointed by Samuel. And you will call that episode where Samuel shows up at the house. He looks for all Jesse's sons. None of them meet the criteria. They all look good. But the Lord says, no, not this one, not this one, not this one. And so they call for the stinky one, who's the little guy out in the field who's taking care of the sheep. Bring this one in. And everybody's like, this one? But the Lord says, this is the one. And this is the one who Samuel pours the anointing oil over his head. Well, why did the Lord insist on prophets, priests, and kings being publicly anointed? It's because the fragrant holy oil that was poured from above and that covered and washed their heads was to be a symbol and a testimony to all that what set apart and qualified a prophet and a priest and a king to love and care for God's people 
What is it that qualified them? It was not their natural talents. It was not their abilities. It was not their achievements. What qualified them to love and care for God's people was nothing less than the holy love of God that fills and covers and washes His beloved children with His Spirit and His Word. And then anointing throughout the Scriptures becomes associated with being filled with the Spirit and the Word of God. An expression of the Lord's love. Anointing, brothers and sisters, was a testimony that everything we need to serve the Lord and come into His presence, we lack. We don't have it. This earth cannot provide it. No amount of money, no amount of effort can. That what we need needs to come from above. We need that cleansing. We need the Lord's love. We need His washing. We need Him to make us beautiful, brothers and sisters. That's what anointing was about. And anointing in this way is a testimony of the good news of the gospel. That it's the Lord who makes His bride beautiful, not the things of this world. And that's why King David writes at the end of verse 5, My cup overflows. Because everything he needs to celebrate the Lord's love, the Lord has given him. And he's given it to him in abundance. And that brings us to our final point for this morning. The house of the Lord is a celebration of the gospel. The house of the Lord is a celebration of the gospel. Who is the Lord? Who is David Shepherd? Well, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's the same God who inspired this psalm who sent His Son in the world to die on the cross for you and I, and to lead His sheep. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is not the good news of what we do for God. The gospel is not the good news of how we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. The gospel is not the good news about how smart or intelligent or how much scripture we understand or how able we are. The gospel is the good news of what God has done to save sinners like you and I. The gospel is the good news of what God has done to clean sinners like you and I. The gospel is the good news of what God has done to save sinners like you and I, so that we might be filled and led with His Spirit and His Word. That's where we're going, brothers and sisters. That's where He's taking us. That's why He saves us. When we're resistant to correction, when we're resistant to hearing that there are things in our lives that are not correct, when we're resistant to the Lord shepherding, we're saying, Lord, leave me ugly. The Gospel is the good news of God's love in our lives, of the way He washes us with His Spirit and His Word so that we might enter into His courts with praise and so that we might be showered with His mercy and His goodness and His holy love in His house. Not some of the days of the week, brothers and sisters, but all the days of our lives. And that's the testimony of King David in Psalm 23. It is the Lord who leads King David to the house of the Lord. 
It is the Lord who prepares a table for him. It is the Lord who anoints his head with oil. It is the Lord who fills his cup with his spirit and his word. And it is the goodness and mercy and love of the Lord that relentlessly pursues King David all the days of his life. Even when he sins and he stumbles and it comes back through a prophet and says, you were the man who has sinned. It is the love of the Lord, brothers and sisters, that enables King David to return and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That term dwell is also the term return. To return to the house of the Lord forever. And some believe this was written at a time where David couldn't get to the house of the Lord. And look forward to that time where the Lord would restore him and bring him there because he on his own couldn't get there. Brothers and sisters, without the Lord, we never would or could come close to his house. Without the Lord, we would never know his love. This is why God sent his beloved son into our filthy world. He sent him to be our good shepherd, to be our prophet and our priest and our king, to be the one who in love would die on the cross so that sinners like you and I wouldn't stay as we are, but that we would be washed with his blood. That we might be filled with his spirit and his word. That our lives would revolve around the house of the Lord. That our lives would revolve around his leadership. That our lives would revolve around his love working in and through us. Sent his son, brothers and sisters, to die on the cross so that we would no longer stink of the world. But instead we would overflow with the fragrant aroma of the love and the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit and his word. Brothers, that's why we long to hear the word. That's why we long to be filled with it. So that the fragrance as people walk by, that they see someone who is like Jesus and not like the world. Why? So that we might celebrate his love in his house as his beloved bride. Brothers and sisters, do you know this love? Do you know this Lord? Do you know what it is like to be washed and anointed with his spirit and his word? If you do, then this is a house of celebration. And it is a house of joy and it is a house of gladness. And Sunday is the best day of the week because we're not coming to see one another, brothers and sisters. Ultimately, we're coming to be with the one who loves us and gives us everything we need to enjoy his love. Brothers and sisters, do you know that? And if you don't, you need to know Jesus because he is the one who can make this a reality in your life. And I belabor that point because not everybody who walks through these doors knows them. Brothers and sisters, why do I bring my family to church? Oh, because he's a pastor. He's got to do it. He doesn't do it, man. He's going to lose his job. Why do I bring my children? It's not because I want my children to learn how to worship the Lord. I'm going to say that again. I don't bring my children to learn how to worship the Lord. If that was the reason I was bringing my children here, I would just be training them to be Pharisees. Here's how you do it. Here's how you open the book. Here are the verses you need to know. Here's how you serve. Here's how you understand the sermon and take sermon notes. 
There's nothing I can offer my children that is going to make them clean or beautiful or remove their sin. I bring my children because I want them to see where the Lord leads his sheep with his word. I bring my children because I want them to come under and hear the Spirit speak His Word. I bring them because I want them to see the Lord cover His sheep with His anointing and His Spirit and His Word. And I bring them because I want them to see one day people who once stank, But in time, they will see the Lord change them and see them become beautiful in the sight of the Lord, restored. I bring them because I want them to see the gospel. I bring them because I want them to see Jesus Christ. I bring them because I want them to see the only person who can help them know his love and to walk in his ways. Brothers and sisters, that's why I come. I come to receive the help I need from Jesus to know his love, because in and of myself, I can't do it. And we have to come and say, and this is one of the reasons I get concerned at times, to speak frankly, when people are not coming to receive Christ's help for their lives. They're coming out of obligation or they come because this is a part of their life, or they're coming because this is good for their family, or they're coming sometimes and this is part of their life. No, brothers and sisters, our lives are to be part of the Lord's life. And if we don't see that what the Lord offers us in His house is the blood of Christ, His Spirit and His Word, and the help we need, to know and enjoy His love to the fullest. And brothers and sisters, we miss everything and we just become Pharisees. And it is, quite frankly, sometimes why I will tell people when I see that pattern, brother, sister, you need to think about why you're coming. Are you here for the Lord and are are you here for His help? Or are you doing just fine? If that's the case then this is not the place for you. You don't belong here because the church is for those who need the Lord's help. That's what anointing is all about. And what we celebrate is the beauty that He gives, not the things that we do to clean ourselves up to look good for our friends. The house of the Lord, brothers and sisters, is a house that celebrates the gospel. The Son of the living God The Christ. That name, Christ, is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah refers to the one who is anointed, the anointed one. In Acts 13, in the church in Antioch, those who are filled with the Spirit, members of the local church, for the first time are called Christians. They are neither Jew nor Gentile. They belong to neither. They belong to the anointed one. They bear the name Christian. They have become the anointed ones. And when we come to 1 John chapter 2, he says, flee from the world. Don't get caught up in the world and the love of the world. And he refers to the members 
who have remained true to Christ, not those who have left. He refers to those who left. He said they left us because they were not of us. But those who remained, he refers to them as you who have been anointed by the Holy One. You who have been anointed by the Holy One. Brothers and sisters, would this be a house that is the house of the Lord? Because he is the one who has anointed us. And what makes this house the house of his love is the anointing of his spirit and his word of a people who gather together, who are so overwhelmed and filled with the love of God that comes from the cross that many would see us indeed as the anointed ones. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, how you have loved us. You have given us a house so that we might see your love. You have given us a house so that we might be led by your word. You have given us a house so that we might be cleaned and washed by your spirit and word so that we might enjoy your love to the fullest, not one day a week, Lord, but every day of the week. May this be our truth and our reality. In your name we pray. Amen.